Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with the Pure Now Show. This is episode number one. Our first guest on the show is Executive Creative Director Adam Perry. Adam Perry hails from London. He's been around the world working for everyone from Ford and Jaguar to Corona and Fanta. Super fun to have him on the show. Here we go. Hey, Adam. Hey, Mark. How are you, man? I'm good. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. Thanks so much for doing the Pure Now show. We really appreciate that you took a little time to chat with us and uh, let us know a little bit about you and your creative journey and all that makes up your creative life. We're very excited to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, First of all, we love the work. Um, We know you've been doing this a long time and uh, we just want to find out a little bit more about, well, not a long time, like, (laughs) no, I'm of advanced age. You're a young man looking very good, very sharp. Um, How did this all begin for you? Where did your creative journey begin? Yeah, I guess um, I just can't remember a time where I wanted to do anything else. Um, If I hadn't succeeded in this, there was no backup plan. There's Um, no plan B. This is no plan B. Yeah, (laughs) that was it. Uh, Yeah. uh, (laughs) Very lucky that. um, I, I guess my career is like. The analogy is like just falling down a hill and landing at certain points in my career where I was supposed to be. I, I think, right. you, you know, going from, I started as a graphic designer in print, realized that wasn't for me because I loved animation so much, managed to get into animation and moving image. And then um, into more interactive things. And then eventually where I am now, where is that kind of um, experiential, where where I can mix everything really, interaction, animation, and live uh, kind of experiential. uh. So as a young person, you know, in the Wayback Machine, uh, was there some kind of an event that occurred that kind of steered you in this direction or inspired you to take on this type of career yeah probably my older brother leaving a monty python book around and discovering terry gilliam Mm. and the (laughs) uh, i I just love the cut up style and the humor and i think that's been a kind of a thread throughout my work is that idea of collage and um, I think is it John Baldessari always talks about loving working in hybrid forms. So you know, text and image and found ephemera. And um, I think you know, from Gilliam to looking, spending hours in the library, my local library, looking at all the art books for Dada and surrealism, especially where they, you know, that was typography, that was poetry, that was kind of costumes, crazy costumes for theatre, as well as painting. And that kind of mixing of um, media has always fascinated and appealed to me. And I think, you know, so I always used to do loads of collage when I was young. 
painting, um, you know, something from the Picasso, you know, taking bits of newspaper and painting over it. And I developed that and then eventually that kind of led to, you know, when Photoshop came along and things like the flames, it, it was such a natural progression that I, it was all, it's all like special effects, it's all kind of collage, right? You just kind of mixing up plates and uh, same with animation. So uh, um, I think I was, well, I had a lot of practice <laughs> to kind of launch myself and, um, it felt a very natural progression going from the analog to the digital. Right. Yeah. Do you remember your first gig? My first musical gig? Ah, oh. well, no, I was speaking more from the... Oh, oh yes, point, sorry, yeah, no. yeah, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, well, I got a job as a runner. I was lucky enough, when I left university, I studied graphic design, print, realised I wanted to get into moving image. So I kind of hopped myself around <laughs> with a portfolio that was no good to anyone in the animation world. But um, uh, I managed to meet some really lovely people at a company called Wiseman's, which was a post-production place. And um, I think maybe Wiseman, Brian Wiseman was known for doing the, like the, maybe he edited the Bohemian Rhapsody video. He was kind of that. Yeah. generation and yeah I had a great meeting and, and I didn't go for a job I just wanted to talk to them really get some advice and they were very welcoming very open they showed me the kit they had which you know was blew my mind at that age I think it was like a Harry at that point <laughs> uh, the precursor of a Henry and um, yeah, they left it, they said goodbye, sorry there was no jobs, and I went, that's fine, thanks for the time, and then the next day they called me back and said, oh, someone's just left <laughs> as a runner, do you want to come in? We'd love to have you. So that uh, was wow. just like being at the right place at the right time. How old were you at the time? I must have been 21, 22, yeah, so after post-college, post-degree. Yeah. And yeah, they taught me a lot. Um, and yeah, after that, Brian Wiseman was really nice and, and it was very hard for a, a runner and you knew a junior assistant, which I became for the design uh, department there to get on the machine, right? Because these machines were expensive and the guys on it were doing work like <laughs> till very late at night. So he, Brian Wiseman had a friend in, Hamburg who, who owned a post-production place and, and they offered me six months to go there because they had like flames and he was going oh you know they don't use them as much as we do you can maybe start teaching yourself so um, I jumped at the chance of that and ended up spending I think two years in Hamburg and then three years in Amsterdam um, doing flame for post-production and with a design edge uh, teaching myself all that and that was I think that helped me a lot in terms of there was no one 
from a design background doing it at that point in those companies. So um, I had a lot of free reign to develop my own style and and everyone seemed up up for it. So <laughs> um, And then on my way back, I, I thought it was time to come back to London because of family and um, as I was passing through looking for some freelance work, frame store, I met some people from frame store and they offered me a job and yeah that was, um, I guess that's when my career really started and I think yeah. like, like what I learned from those guys um, was, you know, has, is, I'm still practicing now, yeah. It sounds like the right people were always there for you at the right time to get you to the next level. I feel incredibly <laughs> privileged and uh, lucky, yeah, for sure, absolutely. And um, there's always, there has been people there that have really kind of nurtured me and taken time to um, uh, help me along in terms of what I need to do, what I'm lacking and, and how to approach work and approach jobs and clients and I, I really try and uh, reciprocate that through my career <laughs> and um, always kind of give people a leg up uh, when I can yeah yeah, you find yourself often in mentoring opportunities where there are young creative professionals. Of course, they're looking up to you. They see your body of work. And how have you been able to leverage your experience to uh, give others kind of a leg up? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. You'd have to ask them that. <laughs> um, I, I guess I've been operating as a creative director for quite a few years now, and I think there's kind of like no two companies and no two people creatively direct in the same way, but I think there's kind of two approaches, right? And one is, I guess they're both kind of triangular in nature, and one is like you're at the top and what you say goes down, like your creativity goes down, you know? And I always kind of, I think I'm the, the opposite. He says people will tell you I'm a control freak. <laughs> but you know, I think being a creative director and being a director is almost like, just organizing a lot of people that are way uh, smarter and way more talented than you <laughs> if you're doing it right. So, you know, I think it's a reverse kind of triangle where it's your job to lift everyone else up, you know, and, and right. to raise everyone's game, really. Yeah. So I think it manifests itself in that way. Um, and at at the mill, especially, you know, I was always, I'd always try and be available how successful I was again is, is a question for someone else, I think. Yeah. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Well, I'm interested though. I mean, The Mill is, of course, an internationally recognized creative firm and done some incredible work. How, how has that helped? How has that molded you uh, to be out there kind of doing your thing now, uh, your own way? Because uh, in that experience, must have been career change yeah you, you know I was operating kind of solo for quite a few years repped as a as a director and I think um, like I think for any job that I wanted to do there was always you always need a team you, you know you know so 
I wanted to go and I had some friends there and luckily again I was in the right place at the right time and um, they offered me a role. We, you know, we, we did a tryout first for six months in the design department. I think that went really well. I must have done there for me a job. Um, and what I really loved about it there was um, again, the design department and the creative tech department were next to each other. And I think I was the only one that worked officially between both because I, really, I, don't, I don't know why. There's something about I went to the Akeda, my first um, gallery show for like over a year since since COVID, or yesterday, in fact. And it, and it was amazing, and it was kind of a whole selection of his works in an amazing space. I think it's called the Vinyl Factory in on the Strand. You know, and it and it's really all his work is very location based, sound based, and I, I think. It always, with any kind of creative piece of work, I think when there's geography involved, when there's space involved and, and time, I, I kind of have a much greater response to that. And I don't know if it's kind of, if the human brain's hardwired to react to story, you know, I always think that story evolved from from geography itself, you know, from looking at the stars and trying to work out um, location of maybe food and, and season in terms of where you want to go. And that's how these myths of story and gods and uh, whether that's true or not, <laughs> I don't know. But I, I just feel that, that when you mix kind of animation and, and, and space and, and time and geography and you're moving around uh, a space, like every every sense of it is every synapse is firing and, and my response to work is way way more involved and more emotional than, than it would be just um sitting at a screen uh looking at a piece of animation right so it's more about an immersion human experience of, of yes. creating an environment versus just a two-dimensional visual representation exactly you know and i like sitting down <laughs> watching tv as much as right, the next sure. person right but um i i think doing too much of that <laughs> isn't really working out for <laughs> for society at the moment but um yeah but that's right so, so so being immersed in this work you know and I, and I think that feeling of immersion is something that um they were really supportive of and the kind of the guys that run the not just the guys, the guys and girls that run the creative tech department were really kind of, um, I'm really grateful for how they championed uh, the kind of work I wanted to, to do and, and how we pushed to leverage some of that work, you know, you know for um, Corona and, and Banter, especially, I think, yeah. And you needed to really, like, integrate that relationship in ways maybe that it wasn't being leveraged and pushing on that technology to really help tell the stories yeah that's right and that was something the meal were great at were kind of leveraging that um technology you know i have, a, I have a immense love of technology and um all the 
but I'm almost, I'm almost uh, I don't really understand <laughs> how it works. I'm not a Luddite, but I can't uh, program, you, you know, m myself, but I, I, I can understand. I think what, where, I guess my creativity comes in is I can understand what, what that technology coming up can offer to right. clients and, and, and right. to the service of, of, the, of the story you're trying to tell. And the mill were incredibly good at leveraging that. Um, and working kind of at that edge of technology, it's always really frustrating because, you know, when a brief comes in and, and you try to do it and and you compromise because the technology is not there, you know, in like 18 months later, <laughs> when the technology has changed again, you, know, you realize you could have done it. <laughs> right. Like, ah. Uh, but then I guess, you, you know, because the, the, that's always what happens when you're at the, I guess, trying to push where technology is at that specific point in time. And like clients always want to leverage being the first, right? So. Yeah. And have you had some like interesting surprises where, you know, maybe the technology wasn't necessarily there yet, but somehow, you know, through these you know, very right brain solution uh, oriented technical individuals, you were able to, you know, extract what you needed and come up with solutions that maybe you didn't think that you had in the back. Oh, yes, always. <laughs> it's always, you know, creativity comes in, in, in many forms, right? And, the, and some of these guys that code are, uh, you know, just creative, you know, they're not just creative in, in, in different ways. And I think that's what being in an environment like that is so important, you know, to have a team of very diverse thinking people that are all coming at a goal, uh, but from completely different directions, right? It's like when you try and hire someone, when you're interviewing for a job, the your gut reaction is to always hire someone that kind of thinks like you and has the same uh, love, uh, visual background as you, you know, and has the same kind of uh, uh, style. But but really, I think to get the most out of any job, you, you want a complete diverse range of, of, of talents and uh, experience. Yeah. And yeah, I, that I think... sounds like a nightmare of hiring yourself versus you're not. Yeah. Really, you're only doubling up on you versus <laughs> no. getting that diversity. That you're uh, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's right. But you know, another thing is that the more technology changes, I, I, I think the more I feel like it's it stayed the same. You know, even even when we're doing um, when I was at Passion, we, we did a, a Burberry show with Musion um, screens, which are the, the kind of holographic screens, and Passion had done all the the live stuff for the gorillas as well where they did the holograms and, and live performance and you know at the time like halfway through that at the time it's like yeah this is like amazing what technology can do but really that's uh, the victorian technology you know with pepper's ghost and even if the technology changes there is always enough i'm fascinated by this there's always seemed to be a thread that goes back through history of people trying to do um, something similar, but but in an analog way, and right. um, I, I think also that's what um, 
I think one of my favourite projects was that Phantom project because we were able to mix kind of very cutting edge technology with a lot of really kind of practical old style effects and I think that kind of made for a very uh, unique and interesting experience. And isn't that kind of what's going on anyway, like uh, the reproduction of the, the paper cut animation, people are trying to reproduce through technology old styles um, <laughs> and make them look like they yes. were produced in an analog setting, which I think is fascinating that, you know, we tend to revert back to our comfort zone of creativity that we're familiar with that got us excited back in the day and then we're bringing it back and we're just creating it from a different vantage point. Yeah, almost like the, the resurgence of vinyl uh, in terms of music, you, you know, people they seem to respond. Maybe that's something to do with our analog brains, I'm not sure. <laughs> but even, uh, you know, what I love about um, AI-driven work at the moment is um, there's still a very, there's still a human, you know, at the beginning of that process that almost relates back to William Burroughs or David Bowie, you know, cutting up a book, reshaping it and creating something new. You, you know, there's always a, a, a human being um, having some creative input there. You know, I guess it's like saying, um, it's like when someone says the algorithm is biased for some reason, you know, that's doesn't really make sense it's the person that programmed the algorithm is is biased you know it's always the human right. uh we always forget the, the human element i think oh an ai produced that yeah, yes but well nothing happens without us I mean, it, it, exactly us you, you know there's there's the guiding hand right right so so give me give me an idea too now this has all been very positive about all the wonderful things that have happened <laughs> I'm sure within the realm of your career, there's been some challenges, there's been some projects that threw you for a loop, uh, unexpected difficulties. Um, give me an idea of <laughs> where, where down the line you stumbled a bit and, and found that you didn't have all the answers and you were challenged to a point where maybe you grew out of it and, and learned something from it, but in the moment, it kind of sucked. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think every project ha has that moment. <laughs> has that moment. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it seems like every project doesn't work, and you, you, you know, you're losing sleep, you're losing weight, you, you, you're stressed, and it, you know, every project doesn't work until it does. Really, I, I think. Maybe the best example of that is um, that the Burberry show we did, uh, this, this was with Passion Pictures, maybe 2010, where it was for the launch of their um, opening store in, in Beijing. And so they wanted this immersive, a massive party uh, in, a, in a massive studio with completely surrounded screens and then at the end of you know one on the ceiling as well and, and 
he timed all this, all the animation to work around uh, all these different screens. And then at the end of that, this wall would open. Uh, there was a catwalk show and we'd also pre-filmed the catwalk show in London and we mixed that with, with holographic uh, models as well to kind of make a... So at some point when they overlap, it exploded and it was kind of like pulling the rug from the audience's eyes. But like, I think, I mean, and Burberry were an incre a really amazing client, really creative, really on board with, with where we were trying to, to go and how ambitious they were. Uh, but it was, you know, sometimes in fashion, the deadlines <laughs> are, are really tight. So I think passion had to, hire a completely new office just to kind of um, get this job done. I think they gave us six weeks. So they had to hire a completely new office to fill with the staff um, to run that. And then like getting to Beijing, I think then all the specs, the, the people that had made all the screens and laid them out, they were all in the wrong place and the wrong dimensions. <laughs> and then I think, I literally think nothing worked until um, about 20 or 30 minutes before the guests were supposed to arrive. Wow. So, so there was um, um, an incredible, uh, guy just kind of banging a computer with a spanner uh, <laughs> but the, the spanner being his mind you, you know to kind of solve all these problems because nothing was in sync none of the projectors worked and uh, but it did I always feel like that bit in uh, what's that film Shakespeare in Love where that character's just saying you know how's it gonna work and he's like I don't know but it does right <laughs> yeah, so, right. so that's kind of guess that's my experience on all that's jobs. not bad though i mean because yeah. it worked out i mean exactly typically. yeah I, I mean yes that, that that's right i guess you know covid ad didn't help like <laughs> choosing to um uh, specialize in event-based work <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thai, Thai uh, King. It's not just yeah. Chinese food anymore. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was a shame because I, because I, I had a few jobs ongoing that were going to happen and then they all cancelled. So, so that wasn't a good experience. You're listening to the Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives, presented by Balance. And is this continuing to be a debilitating factor in how you? manage your clients, how the workflow comes in, how you can promise certain things, because there is a lot, a lot of event-based material that you're creating, and it's just, you know, everything's coming to kind of a screeching halt. Um, yes and no, but then, you know, there's still a lot of desire for online event-based things, and... Right. Um, also, I seem to have spent the last few months, um, uh, especially through the mill, like working on uh, game-based 
activations. And I think that's quite interesting as well because, you, you know, although even though that is digital, I, again, that goes, there is a kind of geography to playing a game. You know, I've always loved it. You know, you actually, you are transported and you move along. So there, so there has been a few really interesting um, ongoing projects. And that world has exploded because of COVID. I mean, people are sitting around staring at their screens and yeah. they're looking for the most compelling, interesting content. And it's opened up just an entire world of creativity uh, that may never have actually happened uh, the way it has exploded because of COVID. That, yeah, that's right. And I think no matter how um, defeated you are at a certain point in life, right? You can either, you know, I don't know, be a victim. That's not a very good terminology, but you can either kind of feel sorry for yourself or um, just keep going, you, you know, keep your momentum and um, uh, see that as a different opportunity. Well, I think you just said the word is, you know, depending on your perspective on life and your vantage point, opportunity comes out of incredible tragedy. I mean, this this is a chance to do something that otherwise would maybe not yes. be presented to you. Yeah, there's that story of that of that algorithm that they made um, to try and teach um, a an object to walk. And you, you know, and they spent ages. You know, and they were hoping that it would evolve. They gave it all these parameters in order to try and get it to walk the longest distance. And what it evolved was this: it just grew really tall and then just fell <laughs> and used this momentum <laughs> to go. Oh, ah. I love that! I love that. <laughs> no, no matter what I do, like 50% of the experience, 50% of what you see is. Uh, experienced through through audio as well so that's yeah. always been a uh, a key component to um to to any job yeah and how have you like leveraged the auditory component which to me i mean the ears are way more powerful than the eyes in many ways and to marry those two things together to give a fully immersive experience um, it gives you more tools to really uh, add to your your visual experience. Yeah, that's right. And and actually, one of the, the best examples of that, um, the, my creative partner on um, the the Fanta job uh, is called Noel Drew, and he's a a, a brilliant um, creative technologist, immersive director, an engineer. And I think when when we originally got that brief, um, it was it was to scare uh, fright-loving teens, uh, and they wanted to to do projection originally, and and we were both struggling with that brief in terms of how do you really make projection scary? It's not kind of a visceral scary experience, especially as you know, working for a, a, a brand like, like Fanta and Coca-Cola, you can't, sh you know, you can't show blood, you can't show gory imagery right. <laughs> or, or, or anything suspect. <laughs> so, 
So he had the absolute genius idea that um, I think he just said, you know, what's what's the scariest thing you can see really is the scariest thing you can't see. It's the scariest thing that you only see in your mind that you imagine. So, so the main uh, part of the scary experience of that was was a complete sensory deprivation um, uh, box in the, in the middle of a. Uh, a, a much bigger kind of immersive theatre thing and that immersive theatre thing on the outside was, was designed to be really stupid, really kind of funny uh, and disarming and and the guest was made to think that that was, that was the experience, you, you know, oh, yeah. so, so they completely disarm and then uh, you, they're to, you know, then we tend to show them out that that's the end and really you go through this last Bit, and that's where they get locked in this in this box. All the lights go off, and and there's like this haunted um, uh, vending machine in there. So you have a little bit of light, and then like, but most of that experience, most of like five minute experience, is in pitch black, and, and the audio uh, the audio for that was phenomenal. <laughs> and really, you, you know, there is also that sound. A certain frequency that just makes you feel anxious as well that, that was played through right. that and then that all that sound was timed and mixed with um, physical elements so so like you know there were moving arms that would brush things on your shoulder so you <laughs> and, and you know and then the sound of the vending machine would kind of just suddenly grew and it grows and grows and grows and then it turns into the sound of flies surrounding you and then like all this uh confetti is dropped on you at that point wow. as well so wow. so that, that's visceral right there <laughs> so yeah. so uh yeah so, so that was kind of fascinating you, you, you know I, I guess traditionally coming from a, a animation visual um uh, background and then uh working on something like that which had like zero zero visuals <laughs> right but it's all kind of in service of the I think it goes back to, to John Baldessari you, you know I love working in hybrid forms and, and I kind of I don't ever I don't really see a distinction or I refuse to see a distinction <laughs> between um, um, animation or stop motion or uh, a piece of theatre or, or you know, a piece of sound design. I, I think I'm, I'm just more interested in, in what am I trying to convey? What emotion do I want people to feel? And um, you know, when it's advertising, <laughs> what, am I, what am I trying to sell? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, where do you think it's going to go? Where's 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 all this going? I mean, uh, the opportunity is obviously there, and and technology does play a part in it, but. Um, our minds are opening up uh, to new things, new ideas, and uh, how do you see humans expressing themselves in this way going forward? Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I think, I, I think, it, it, again, that goes back to all this technology is amazing, but that it's analogous and to past human behavior I think you know as much as technology evolves we're as as meat machines aren't evolving 
at the same rate. So, right. um, so, so I think, you know, we are still programmed to, to response to kind of story and, and kind of a and, and narrative. And, you know, that narrative doesn't have to be linear. Uh, you know, I, I do prefer my timelines to be all over the shop because <laughs> uh, I, f- I find it uh, more exciting. I think most of my inspiration looking back is is kind of stories that kind of tend to jump uh, around instead of being linear. So I, I think I think we'll respond to it in the same way. I, I think I hope that, um, that that we'll use it as a shared experience. You, you, you know, we do love sharing. We, we love um, uh, connecting with people, whether that's physically and uh, online. I, I really hope that um, we never lose the uh, in-person experience because, um, I don't know, th- th- that, that's where, that's where my passion lies. And again, like going to that, my first exhibition, uh, yesterday, uh, just having that, um, and it was a shared experience with, with a small group, I guess, because we're still uh, restricted in terms of numbers uh, because of the, the COVID restrictions. But still, um, being able to share that with uh, other people, and you know, I always love it when there's lots of kids running around. My son was there. There was other children there, uh, and I think that. Um, yeah. Do you think that because of the global situation that maybe we will appreciate more of these opportunities when we can get together and it's, it, we can't take it for granted it's so few and far between especially right now uh, something that you know you and I didn't grow up with we don't know anything of this this is all so foreign and crazy um, but our children are are learning that this is just normal. This is their norm. And uh, how do you think that is going to affect, you know, even future generations of understanding the connection between us and how important it is and that we have to cherish these times when we can truly get together as people? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, mean, I you're, you're right, you, you, you know, to me, this is a, this is a, a, a complete, um, shift in, in normality, right? I, I, I can't. The, the last time that happened is, is you know the nineteen the, the, the Spanish flu pandemic. You know that. Obviously, I wasn't a lie. I am old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> but I, you know what I worry. I do worry that this is just uh, the tip of the iceberg you know, in terms of what's coming down the line with um, climate change. And I think, what did William Gibson say? The future's here, it's just not evenly distributed. So I think if you look around, you know, where climate change is um, really happening, uh, I kind of feel like, you know, pandemics and outbreaks are gonna be a part of that as well. So. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that new technology can drive us to, to change a little bit, you, you know, but I, I think why I would always try and trumpet the, 
the the in-person experience, the kind of the, the physical experience, is somehow it's to me it's like the difference between like typing notes and writing notes with a pen. Somehow, when I write notes with a pen and I have the physical connection, the, the, the retention in my brain is way, way more than just typing. Right. So I think I'm really hoping that, um, like, if we can do events. Uh, that you know beyond advertising beyond just art you, you know maybe we can use the, this as an opportunity to try and kind of create some uh, artworks or experiences that kind of affect people that, that are physical and, and can affect people and, and, and hopefully I think that that might Maybe I'm, you know, a naive dreamer, but I'm hoping that, that might have a more of a reaction uh, with people than, like, you know, it's only two years ago, right, or 18 months ago, that all those images of Australia, like Australia was on fire, yeah. you, you know, and and every picture was orange and, and, and smoke-filled, and then, you know, even me, until I just mentioned it there, you know, I'd almost forgotten about it. <laughs> yeah. Because somehow, um, just watching and resharing these things, or, 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 or retweeting something, you, you, you know, you have that moment of oh, and then and then you move on. So, um, I, I have, you know, personally in terms of my practice as well, I am trying to spend the next few months to get funding to create some kind of more physical things that. Um, highlight some of the things that are more that I'm passionate about in terms of um, climate change and uh, ecology, plastic waste. Yeah. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Yeah, I was going to ask you essentially, do you feel some kind of responsibility? And because you are a master storyteller and you have the ability to create uh, experiences for people that otherwise uh, they would not feel compelled to want to take in certain information. You know, people are very stubborn, obviously. And uh, you have an opportunity in a very creative way to deliver information to people and convince even I mean, convincing people is maybe one of the most challenging things, but through art, we do have uh, this, a different layer that we can uh, affect people in ways to get them to feel something even differently instead of just thinking their opinions that uh, we can subliminally uh, enhance a message delivery system and get them to maybe contemplate things in a way that they never thought about them before. Yeah, absolutely, and I think a combination of uh, becoming a father, I guess, late in life, and and just having just experiencing uh, the, the the pandemic, I think, has definitely given me time to reflect. <laughs> I mean, I am a hypocrite, you, you know, in terms of sometimes some of the things I think and I wish about the world. Uh, 
still doesn't stop me from getting a uh, Amazon quick Amazon delivery or, or or driving somewhere you know in a petrol vehicle. Um, but uh, I, I think I, I am determined to not come out of this the same as I was before. I think and to use my limited. <laughs> I guess, you know, I have a narrow uh, uh, talent <laughs> uh, frame, uh, but I think I can, I would like to leverage that as much as possible um, uh, to say something about that. Yes, and exactly, to try and to try and create an experience and a, and a, and a story for people that they can kind of feel and um, hopefully kind of work with people that have been doing this a lot longer than me to kind of um, progress change at a much uh, faster rate than I think is happening at the moment. Yeah. All right, I have one final question mm. for you. So you are now you now, and you're looking back on your younger self and now have this wealth of knowledge and experience. How do you advise yourself uh, based on what you know now versus what you knew then? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I think, <laughs> to, to be honest, the only thing I know now is that I really know nothing. And, and, ah, <laughs> and that's very I think, Buddhist of you. Yes. <laughs> and I think I've always, um, it's, it's not imposter syndrome. I think even when I started, I realized I knew nothing, but I think that's not a bad thing, you, you know? And I think along the way you realize really no one, <laughs> no one knows anything. And, and <laughs> um, I think what makes you a success, I think is recognizing um, opportunity. You, you know, always have a, a clear direction of where you want to go but you know life and and things always get in the way um you're, you're never gonna head straight there but along the way you might think i'm not doing that that's a detour but i think you need to um i was quite good at it i think i would tell myself to recognize more of those opportunities you know even if they're completely unrelated i, I think that um, every experience you have kind of makes you the creative that you're going to be tomorrow, right? So right. leverage it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good advice. And I think it's true for pretty much every aspect of life. It's, you know, we have a lot of challenges and difficulty, but those are, <laughs> those are opportunities for growth and understanding and even uh, knowing more about ourselves. Yeah. Uh, uh, being the witness to it instead of getting caught up and reacting in life and uh, trying to enjoy it more, even the pain can be very enjoyable if, uh, if you've got the right spin on life. Um, and and I, I, I think it's very unfortunate that more human beings aren't enjoying themselves, aren't expressing themselves. And I think because you've chosen a path of creativity and expression, which I think every human being really just wants fundamentally, um, but it's hard to achieve that through fluorescent lights in a cubicle, banging a keyboard, yeah. and putting data. Yeah. <laughs> but you made a choice, and you you followed your passion and did what you wanted to do, and hopefully that will illuminate others and inspire them 
that uh, they're not forced into anything and that they can make certain choices. I, I, I hope so. I know there's always that kind of survivor bias, right. <laughs> you, 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 you know, by someone saying, just follow your passion, you know, because for every person that does that, um, I'm pretty sure there's there's hundreds that uh, that don't make it. But then I think um, I go back to just trying. We're all falling, right? <laughs> bang, 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 right. bang, bang. And when you fall right. face down, just think, well, this is where I'm supposed to be, and uh, and get up. And it may not be where you thought you were going to go, but I think hopefully down the line you realise that's where you you were meant to go. Well, you're a super humble, sweet guy, Adam, and I appreciate that you took the time to come on the show, tell us a bit about you and what you've been doing, and and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Cheers, Matt. Good All luck right. to you and, and everything you, you do. How many children do you have? Uh, just the one. Six. Six so, years old. Yeah. Complete joy. <laughs> Oh, amazing, yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> I've, only got, I've got a few good years left until it all goes. <laughs> uh, well, you know? no, I, it actually, I, I, based on what I limitedly know about you, I think you're going to have a, a good time with parenthood all the way down the line. Well, yeah, I'll just think back of uh, my teenage years, so. <laughs> yeah, but see, I, I, you know. I deserve what's coming to me. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, cheers, brother. All Thank right. you so much again. Thanks Take so care. much. All See right, ya. Man. See ya. Bye. If you enjoyed the Pure Now show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hi Ha Dang. Thanks so much for watching.